Reaper's Revenge, America's Best Haunted Attraction, will open weekend September 24th through Halloween. Five attractions, one location. The Haunted Hayride, Lost Carnival, Pitch Black, Sector 13, and the all-new Delirium. Tickets available at reapersrevenge.net. From spooky legends past, down through generations, to haunted locations that hold a ghostly past. Come one, come all, come blinders and seekers. Hear the creepy side of Nipa. Welcome to the creepy side of Nipa, sponsored by Reaper's Revenge. I am Dan Kozlowski. And I'm Nora Herchek. Before we get into this week's episode, don't forget to subscribe or follow us, depending on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us right now. Joining us tonight is Mary Sullivan from the Mifflinburg Buggy Museum. She is a guide and also a researcher. Mary, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me. So, Mary, we did have a listener reach out to us a couple months ago and talked to or told us about this ghost tour you guys are planning. You like to tell us a little bit what you guys have in store? Well, um, I'll give you a little bit of the background on how we ended up with a ghost tour for Mifflinburg. Um, about 15 years ago or so, the Buggy Museum offered a, a ghost tour, and it was a walking tour, uh, and I actually attended it. And, and I found that the stories were kind of vague. Uh, it was one of those things where, you know, some kid said, and this, you know, a house outside of town, and you really, it wasn't very concrete, and it was, it left me kind of frustrated. And uh, so after that was uh, all said and done, you know, I put it aside for, for another decade and a half. And uh, as a volunteer at the museum, I stumbled upon the old script for this, this uh, ghost tour. And I thought, man, you know, there's just not enough here to do anything with. Um, so one of the, the idea was at that point in time to take some of what that was ghost tour, maybe two or three of the stories, and try to get some more information, find out where these houses were, who some of the people were that were involved, and you know, what actually happened. And so um, started doing some research. And actually, there's a, a Facebook page that Mifflinburg has, uh, Mifflinburg Scenes of the Past, and the mayor uh, actually oversees this Facebook page. And, you know, people put stuff that happened in the past, pictures and so on. So I thought this would be a great place to stick this out here and say, hey, you guys, do you have any ghost stories that from Mifflinburg? Because the idea of, of doing a walking tour um, to benefit the museum was something that was you know, very attractive. And I thought maybe we could get you know five or six stories and be able to do a little mini tour out of it. And um, what was so funny is that, that you know when you put it out there on Facebook, it immediately blew up. Um, I think there were like 160 responses, just every, you know, bing, bing, wow. bing, bing. And and it was like, what the heck is going on here? <laughs> um, because it was, you know, they, it was uh, a situation situation where everyone, um, they were posting what was going on. They were very free with with their stories. It wasn't one of those, oh, I think people are going to think I'm a little crazy if I post this. They did not feel that way. They weren't uncomfortable. There was no criticism or, you know, what is wrong? Everybody, and it, what was so funny is, you know, it wasn't just that everyone had a ghost story in Mifflinburg. It seemed like everyone was living in a haunted house because it, you couldn't throw a stone without hitting a haunted house in Mifflinburg. And, and jokingly, I say, well, we're like the Gettysburg of Pennsylvania, but then nobody gets it. But but we have so <laughs> many ghosts. We just have as many ghosts as Gettysburg, if not more. So, so it became one of these things where 
you know, we, we got information off the, the uh, Facebook post. And then also they were encouraged to contact me directly with you know, emails or uh, do some phone interviews. And so, you know, it was one of those where I, I get a phone call. I talk with this person. They'd say, oh, you need to talk to so-and-so. Here's her number. She said, go ahead and give her a call. People were very willing to share information about, you know, the, the ghost in their house and the ghost in, in Mifflinburg. And so, um, I'm not sure whether if you've ever been to Mifflinburg, and if you haven't, you need to come visit because the architecture is such, it's a beautiful town. We have managed to preserve uh, very many of the uh, uh, houses as well as the old businesses, which were primarily buggy uh, buggy businesses. So we've got the carriage houses, we've got the, the you know buggy factories and so on. And, and you know, it's it just kind of a walk down the street lends itself to the imagination where you say, ah, there's got to be something going on in this house. There's just, it's just got too much of a personality not to have a story. So do you have interest in ghosts and ghost hunting? And did this just stem strictly from wanting to make this ghost tour better? It was wanting to, to have this ghost tour, I guess, really tear it apart and start from scratch to make it a, you know, a fun kind of thing for the museum. I think we all tend to have an interest in ghosts, whether we admit it or not, whether we say we believe it or not, you know, there's like a yearning that we always want to think that there's something else out there. And it, it really, it allows us to explain things that we can't explain by just saying, I have a ghost. And so do I have an interest? Yeah, I'm interested in, will I watch those shows? And, you know, yeah, I'll watch them. And, and some, yes, I believe. And some, no, I w- will not believe what's going on. But, but uh, I, you know, a healthy criticism or skepticism, I think is important. But uh, it, it was one of these, this is, like I said, this is a very straightforward. These are the stories that people told me. You don't have to believe them, but the people that told me these stories do believe them. And I also find it very interesting, and that's how you got started. You put a post on Facebook, and these people sort of reached out to you. And I know Nora could agree with me. That's kind of how we started this podcast. We just sort of oh, really? asked people to submit their stories and submit ideas for episodes, and it just sort of took off from there. Oh, my gosh. Well, then, yeah, there you have it. And I know you touched a little bit on a lot of the buildings and stuff are original from the 1800s or when Mifflinburg was started, and I think that has a good tie of what hauntings have because it seems to be more... Hauntings seem to surround themselves more with the history of the buildings than newer construction. Right. And that we did find that, um, but I also found that there were some with newer construction, which I was surprised. What's, what's weird, and I'll, I'll tell you, um, a lot of my background was in education, and I did a lot of qualitative research for various degrees that I hold. Anyhow, so as a qualitative researcher, and that's in quotes, um, you know, you're, you're looking for patterns to emerge. And what was funny is when you start putting down all these stories in, in writing – um, that, that I use for my script, you know, you, I started to see patterns. It was like, this is bizarre that I would see patterns emerge, emerging from a ghost story. But, but well, there were some themes that kind of ran through. Number one, I guess I'll give you, is that, that, you know, these weren't necessarily haunted houses. We had haunted blocks. The ghosts, tend, and this is what really struck me, the ghosts that we talked about, one person would contact me on one part of Walnut Street, and, you know, without even knowing it, somebody else on another part of Walnut Street would be telling me almost the same story. And so it was like the ghosts aren't necessarily bound by walls, but they are, you know, they are like caretakers of or overseers of the blocks, which I found uh, very interesting and, uh, you know, something that I, I hadn't really considered. I 
figured we had haunted houses and they stayed in their house. We also had, you know, like themes of, and I'm sure you've come across this with, with the other people you've spoken with, you know, where we had the ghosts that were, were little kid ghosts. We had ch- children as ghosts and, you know, numerous examples of them, you know, causing mischief and hearing laughter in the house and so on. We also had a theme where there was a, a attraction to children in the house. In other words, that whole adolescent energy, you know, my 12-year-old daughter, you know, every time we hear like this, oh, there's a ghost in the house and it's in my daughter's, you know, it was always one of those situations where the kid's getting, you know, near puberty or whatever, and the, the ghost can't, tended to be very active in those houses after the, the child moves in, uh, away, you know, after she or he grows up, it wasn't quite as active anymore and that eventually they never heard from the ghost again. But we had others, another theme that kind of ran through. Um, was that uh, that some of the ghosts did actually stay in the house between different owners. And so people would say, oh, I live at so-and-so Chestnut Street. And then somebody later would say, I live there too. Did you have such and such? Oh, yeah, I saw the same thing. And when I was going up the steps, blah, blah, blah. And so they, they shared ghosts between families that, you know, had lived in the house. It didn't matter who was there. That ghost was staying put and he or she was going to haunt the family. And and so uh, and we we also had like one block in town with a very dark menacing presence, and he has moved from and I'll say he because they they sensed it was a, a a man of some sort, but he has moved between houses and, and and he's pretty much stayed in his area in on that street. So it's like you know maybe I'm trying to make sense of something that isn't to be made sense of, but it was very interesting that I started to see some of these themes emerge with all these stories. Have any of the people that own these houses or, you know, maybe businesses or whatever um, had any ghost hunters or paranormal investigators or anything come into their houses and try and see if they can contact any of these ghosts or anything at all? Um, Actually, we didn't necessarily, I don't recall any with the homes, but there was one, um, there is a church in town that is haunted, or at least was haunted. It was it's called the Elias Church, and it's the actually the oldest church uh, in Mifflinburg, and it was it's uh, it was the first church, and then they kind of spread out from there. And once it was uh, a church, didn't hear much about it in the 1800s, uh, but it was uh, then converted into a barn and converted into a repository for buggy storages, and then it was turned into an apartment house. And once it became an apartment house is when it became very active. And, you know, the, the people said, you know, there, there's something going on here. And um, there was a, when they've sold that church and sold it back to the uh, Mifflinburg Heritage Association, uh, they had a collection of those ghost stories. So they did bring in a, a paranormal investigator. And this is part of the, the ghost tour as well. I, I talk about, you know, what went on there when, when the uh, investigator came in and, and uh, decided whether or not, you know, tried to determine whether or not there was any kind of a, a presence there was there. And so they did take photos and, and they did have, you know, the elect, I know I'm not familiar with all the paraphernalia, whatever it is, the technology, but they had, you know, the, the electromagnetic field readings and so on. They did the voice recordings. And and one of the things, and this, I guess, will give part of my tour away, but anyhow, but one of the things when they when they were talking about the changes in the building, because the building, remember, has gone from being a church at that point. It was a, a barn. It was a repository. It was an apartment house that was, you know, used for, by several families. And then it was converted back into 
um, what resembles almost the original church. Now it is um, like an entertainment center where they do plays and so on. And it was converted back in there. And so at that point in time, when they were doing the conversion, you know, they, the paranormal group came in and they, they asked, you know, during a, a voice recording, they said, well, you know, are, are you happy with the changes in the building? Uh, because they, again, are taking the building and turning it back to what it was and looks very much like a church. And they did a beautiful job on it. And I'm thrilled with the changes. But they said to the, the ghosties, you know, are you happy with the changes in the building? And when they played back the, the uh, recording, they very distinctly heard, no. That's what I know. So the, the ghost was not happy, um, and I'm not sure ghosts, maybe they're act, actually that has several ghosts, it had several ghosts. I don't know if they're still there because nobody's living in that building. It, like I said, it's an entertainment center, and I haven't heard any reports. But I think, you know, there's a strong possibility those ghosts have moved on. Also interesting about that, the uh, location of that church is it's right kind of at the foot of the hill, which has how the, the uh, cemetery is actually there. And the cemetery goes back to the late, late 1700s, early 1800s. So it was the first cemetery there, too. And so, I, you know, I also and the ghosts that have been reported in and out, in and out of that place. You know, I often wonder if you get a really strong rain, if that's not washing some of them downhill into that church, because it seems like, you know, that they're all just like somehow coming down, down the hill from the cemetery. And the first stop is there at the church. So, yes, there have been some investigators, and I guess they, they did do the church, and, and that's what they found, at least a little bit of what they found. The rest is, is in the ghost tour. <laughs> Does the ghost tour cover all Mifflinburg, or is there a certain area that you focus on the most? No, it, it covers mostly downtown. Um, it's about a mile and a half, and a mile and 1.7, whatever. What has happened is, um, you know, that was, I did the ghost tour the first time last year. And um, since then, you know, people still say, oh, I have a story for you. I have a story. So since then, there's been at least 10 more ghost you know, stories, haunted houses added to it, which has changed the, the kind of the traffic flow. It's now really too big to do as one tour. So I'm going to have to maybe at some point split it in half. Some of the, you know, some of the stuff I do, some of them I have to leave out. You know, they're all good stories, but you can only, you only have so much time. So um, it, it has taken, like, it's grown bigger and bigger, and as it continues to do so, I think eventually I'll split it, like I said, and, and maybe offer it as two different tours at some point in time. But no, it does not cover all of Mifflinburg because we just can't do it, you know, as a walking tour. Right, and that's a good thing. You keep getting new stories. You could sort of switch it up, and people that come year after year would get a different show as opposed to the same stories. Right. And even and just even today, um, when I was there, because I also was doing a, a scandals tour today for the Buggy Museum of, of, of Scandals and Scoundrels. And one of the women that was on that tour, um, who happens to live in one of the haunted houses and she and was across the street from another one of the haunted houses. She said, oh, you know, I know that such and such is on that the tour. And she's actually attending the tour um, next month. And she said, um, but, you know, since then, the, that family moved out. She said, but when they were doing, changing and doing the renovations and stuff for a new renter, you know, the, the ghost made an appearance again. So then she added more to the ghost story for the house across the street from her. So it's just like they kind of keep evolving and, and adding to it. And, and, you know, and, and so it's, 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 it does keep it a little bit fresh that way. When you mentioned that there's, you know, that one block, I think you said it was Walnut Street, where it kind of seemed like the ghosts 
there were a couple of them and the same ghost in a couple of different houses. Um, is, do you know of any sort of historical thing that happened in that area that maybe could cause them to be there? Or like there used to be a building there that was one big building and now it's knocked down and there's houses? Well, there is one street and, and this one's on Market Street that does. There were two people on this block that seemed to share the same ghost and they didn't know it. And I didn't know it until I heard the story. Um, and, and this would be like it would make sense. The, the one house, um, there was a housekeeper there that lived with this family. The family was fairly well-to-do, and the housekeeper lived with them for decades. You know, she was one of the family. And eventually she got old, and she died in the house. And, you know, the family buried her or whatever and, and mourned her loss. Um, but the housekeeper, uh, at one point in time, I guess, decided not to stay gone and to come back and to continue to take care of the house and take care of the family. And so the, the uh, son had grown up and gotten married and had uh, uh, married a woman that was from another country and she didn't speak English and so on. He brought her home and uh, she stayed in one of the upstairs bedrooms overnight when they were doing the visiting and she came down the next morning and I'm giving away a lot of the story, but there's a lot more ghosties in Mifflinburg than this one. So anyhow, she came down um, the next morning and she said, about, you know, who is that woman in the house? And they said, well, what are you talking about? And she said, well, she described this woman. And, and um, she said, well, I'm, who, who was here? She knocked on the door and she, I opened the door and she said, who are you and what are you doing here? And, they descri- and she described her and they looked at each other over breakfast and said, oh, my God, that's Jenny. That was the housekeeper. And so it's like, okay, you know, the house was haunted by the housekeeper. That makes sense. So then several doors down, four doors down, the woman who lives in that house contacted me about her, her story. She said, well, we don't have a ghost. But she said, one time I thought we did. She said, we've never seen our ghost, but we had a visitor in the house. And they had a gentleman come visit from another country. And he said, I had the weirdest thing that happened to me last night. Maybe I had a dream. But there was a, my, a knock at my door, and I opened the door, and there was this woman standing there, and she said, who are you, and what are you doing here? And it was the same ghost that had been four doors down. I think she must be very you know, territorial and very protective of her Mifflinburgers, because anybody that looked or sounded different was going to be questioned as to why they were there. So it sounds like a lot of these people who, you know, used to live in Mifflinburg kind of want to stay there even after yeah, they've yeah. passed. Once you get here, it's more like the Hotel California. You can, you can, you know, you can't check out no matter how hard you try. Uh, but, you know, a lot of times the, the people are, uh, do describe, you know, a man in work clothes, a man, you know, he was wearing coveralls and so on. A lot of what they describe as far as the attire could very well fit with what the workmen of the time, you know, during the buggy days when they were working in the buggy factories, what they were wearing. And so there's, you know, always that strong possibility. It, you know, if you look at the newspapers of that time, and and uh, I'm lucky enough to have like about 10 years worth of Mifflinburg telegraphs from the 1800s. And that's what I spent my pandemic winter doing is reading these newspapers. And that's how I got my information for the scandal store. But anyhow, so, uh, but if you read the newspaper, you know, some of these people met really violent deaths or, you know, there was, you know, typhoid fever went through and cholera and whatever. Little kids, and you know, it was nothing to read the obituaries and see two or three kids dying that week. And so, and, you know, when you think about the little kids that are the ghosts in, in Mifflinburg, 
you can't help but wonder if some of them, you know, were just the spirits that, you know, the little lives were cut short and they didn't want to leave yet. So whether or not it's explainable, I don't know. But sometimes, you know, that like I said, the people will describe the the dress uh, being worn or the the uh, work clothes that are being worn, and and you do kind of wonder if that's not something to you know a tie in with the history of Buggy Town. Yeah, and when you mentioned that they're still wearing what they would be wearing to work, I was just wondering, is was there a lot of debts in making buggies at all, or was there like uh, accidents in the factories? I mean, there were accidents. It wasn't, I mean, because for the most part, it wasn't an automated process. So, you know, there were hand tools and so on. It, you could have a lot of maiming, but I, you know, I don't think there were a lot of tragic deaths where, you know, such and such a machine came down and crushed right. him or whatever. You know, there were some and, you know, but, but for the most part, it wasn't that dangerous a, a, a job because of the fact that, you know, the machinery, yes, some of the machinery was, was heavy. But it was hand tools, and you know there were other workers in the in the working closely with you. But it was not automated. You wouldn't get caught in the machine or whatever. I, I think for the most part, it was it was I'll say fairly safe. And that you know that might be an understatement. I'm not sure or an overstatement. And that was the primary industry in Mifflinburg was making buggies. Well, at that point in time, yeah. I mean, like from the 1860s to the 1920s. Um, and we were Buggy Town USA. We were the buggy capital of the world, whatever it is that you want to market us as. We had um, at one point in time, you know, at any given time, there were like 40 to 45 buggy makers at the same time in, you know, in town. And Mifflinburg is not that big. Um, from start to finish, there were probably about 90, you know, that, that kind of overlapped in some spots. Wow. And so it was a big industry for Mifflinburg during its heyday. Sadly, the automobile came along and kind of knocked that out. But but for the you know when buggies first started, um, you know in the 1840s and then 1860s, we started with with some buggy makers here in town and so on, and it really took off at that point. And you everybody was in the buggy industry, whether they were making buggies or they were working as a blacksmith or a painter in in you know the buggy factory. They had probably some kind. Even the women were in the buggy factories working as trimmers. You know, they were um, making the upholstery and they were working there as well. So it, it offered employment to a huge portion of the town. One question we usually ask the ghost walks when we talk to them or ghost tours is what is one of your favorite stories that are featured on the ghost tour? Um, well, I've, I mean, I got a, I've got a lot of them and I'll, I'll, some of them that are my some of my favorite stories um, are not necessarily on it because they take place outside of town. That was another thing, you know, people called me or people talked about these ghost stories and uh, they didn't live in town. So it's like, well, you know, that's going to be a little bit harder for me to share, but I, I can tell you one that is outside of town that someday, you know, I'd like to be able to incorporate in. Sure. Um, it was, it was a, a woman had called me and, and told me the stories about the house that she's living in. And she said there was a three year period of time and it was back in 1996 and 97 and 98. And she said the house, it was like August, every August of, of those years, the house would become so active in August of those three years. And she didn't understand what was going on. Um, but lo and behold, the woman's daughter was was going through adolescence and it was right at that time period. All right. But they had uh, a situation where the, the husband and the wife, they would um, they'd go to bed at night and the wife especially, and she's the one that, that spoke to me on the phone about this, she said, you know, she would 
feel the, the bed go down. The side of her, her side of the bed would go down like someone's sitting on it. And, you know, she would pretend to be asleep because she, you know, really didn't want to have anything to do with what was going on. And so, you know, the bed would go down. And when she pretended to be asleep, if she'd wait long enough, then it would lift up. Like, you know, whatever it was, was, was going walking away. She had felt something pushing down on her shoulder and pushing her head down into the pillow. And, you know, she, of course, is terrified. She's telling her husband about this. And I don't know whether he, you know, poo-pooed the idea or whatever, but the next year, the ghost went after the husband and did pretty much the exact same thing, pushing him down onto the mattress or the pillow on his head. And um, they would hear moaning coming from the, the rocker in the corner of the room. And so the, the husband got up out of bed, and, you know, and he touched the rocker and, and the moaning stopped. And she described seeing someone at the foot of her bed. And like I said, for three years, you know, this is this is going on. They would hear breathing in in their ear. And and she said, you know, and this is August, of course, every August that she was it was like a painful cold, a bone chilling, painful cold that she would be experiencing footsteps above them, you know, like going up the steps above them. She said, but there were no steps up there, but she could hear people going up the, the stairs. So this went on for three years. And, you know, of course they were dreading August at that point in time because they don't, you know, they don't want to be going through this the rest of their lives. She spoke then, she did some research and she spoke to the woman who, um, she knew the woman who her aunt had lived in this house prior to that. And so she was speaking to this woman. She said about what, what's the deal with this house? My God. And, you know, the, the woman says, yeah, she said, that belonged to my aunt and my uncle. And uh, she said, the weird thing about this is every time I would go to family reunions or whatever, and we talk about, uh, you know, the, the aunt and uncle, I'll call them William and an Annie, okay? Every time we talk about William and Annie, as soon as I would ask any questions or anybody would ask any questions about William, everybody would shut up and stop talking about this man. And, and they said, you know, no one ever wanted to talk about William. And she said, well, you know, what, why doesn't anybody want to talk about it? what? What do you mean? What happened with this guy? And and she, she would say, to, you know, at the reunions. And finally, somebody said, you know, things were different back then. So that was a different time. And people died of all sorts of things. And she thought, what are you talking about? What, people died of all sorts of things. So at one point in time, then she had brought in a medium into the house. Um, before it was told to this couple that was experiencing it. And the medium had stated that she had felt the presence of a child in the house and that something very horrible and sad had happened to this child. Now, we don't know what has happened to that child. We don't even know the child's name. But what is interesting and somewhat, I guess, alarming is that um, this William, who had lived in the house, also committed suicide in the house. And there was discussion at that point in time that William had somehow been involved with some abuse and, and probably maybe maybe sexual abuse of this this child that had been in the house. And then that that uh, you know when you think about what was going on with the, them being pushed down in, in the bed and you know, the bone chilling, you know the evil force that was at work in the house. And they said, well, this is you know it's bizarre, but why would it be every August? And they said, well, that's the anniversary of his death. Okay. And then what was funny, not funny, but unusual is that they looked up, they went and did the research on this guy 
and looked up his obituary. And if you look up obituaries in back in the you know 20s and even the late 1800s, they're long, flourishing. You know, they they go on and on about how wonderful this person was and everything they did. And you know, they they really got a lot of mileage out of this person's life. And they they said that the thing with this man's man's life was that his obituary was boiled down to one sentence, and the sentence was. Many people attended the funeral on Monday. Wow, that was it. Yeah. So, so um, she's still in the house. I know, and I haven't spoken to her uh, several, maybe about a half a year or so. But I'm anxious to see whether. And again, that was you know 25 years ago. Then it stopped. So maybe it was because of her daughter going through adolescence. Who knows? But they had the issue in August, and it was not a a pleasant experience of a ghost at all. And uh, that was one where. They did set out to kind of explain, you know, sometimes you, you try desperately to explain it and they want some kind of a, an occurrence to, to fit the narrative. That one, it kind of does fit the narrative. So I'm, I'm not sure, but that is one of, I won't say my favorites, but I find one of the ones I find most intriguing. Yeah, especially how it lines up every August and that is the anniversary of his death. Yeah, yeah. yep, yeah. So don't know. If any of our listeners are interested in attending one of your upcoming ghost walks, how would they get some more information or do they buy tickets or do they show up at the museum? How does that work? No, don't show up. Don't show up. Don't. <laughs> um, because the issue is, you know, we have limited tickets available because you can only, like I usually say, you can only herd so many cats. Um, walking people around town is more of a chore than I realized because I am what I call a fast walker and there are a lot of people that aren't fast walkers and they will wear flip-flops and it takes forever to wait for them to get caught up. So we try to limit the numbers so that we just can get through this in a reasonable amount of time before I'm collecting social security. But, <laughs> but uh, we're just coming up real quick. I might add, but at any rate, don't show up. Um, now the, the tickets have been available online. Here's my disclaimer. Um, unfortunately slash very fortunately, we are sold out again already for this year. Um, we sold out immediately last year and then we put this out and, uh, and, and you, you offered to, to interview and I was thrilled. Um, we have since sold out of all the tickets, but now here's my disclaimer too. Um, you need to sign up on the Mifflinburg Facebook, you know, become a friend, whatever. Also Mifflinburg web, uh, buggy museum website. We are going to, because this is so wildly popular, and like I said, we do five or six tours a year and they sell out. We're going to do it again next year. So what I would encourage listeners is if you want to do this and, and you, you know, really mark your calendar or whatever, sign up for Facebook because then you will get messages that, yes, we are now taking, you know, signups or tickets are, are available for the, the ghost walk because um, I'll keep doing this until we don't sell out or until I myself am one of the ghosts and whatever because <laughs> You know, like I said, if it's going to be this popular, uh, we'll do it for, it'll become the annual ghost tour. And so we'll do it annually until to be determined, I guess. Yeah, it seems like you're having a great outcome so far. Yeah, it's, it was bigger than we ever imagined it would be. And so, like I said, we continue to offer it, you know, to, to groups and so on, whether or not we had, we had a group of Bucknell students come um, last year, you know, they reserved at time and 20 slots and whatever. It's like, okay, we'll offer you your own special tour. So it, it worked very well for us, especially during the pandemic when you can be outside and you don't have to worry about, you know, close quarters. Right. Well, I'd like to thank you for joining us on the podcast tonight. 
Well, thank you very much for having me, and I, I look forward to hearing this. <laughs> yeah, thank you. It was so interesting to hear all of your stories. Okay, well, great. I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it, and again, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Have a good night. Hey, you too. Yeah, bye-bye. Bye. Be sure to like WNEP's Creepy Side of NEPA on Facebook. That is the best way to get the most current information about the podcast. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Until next time, enjoy the creepy side of NEPA. This has been the creepy side of NEPA. If you have a spooky story that took place in northeastern or central Pennsylvania, send it to ghost at WNEP.com for your chance to share it on an upcoming episode. We're dying to hear from you. Ha, 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 ha.